welcome to the Friday edition of the podcast. We have Aaron Rodgers lying, Odell Beckham flying out of town, and I'm going to be trying to go over the week nine slate, including some best bets for you. Hopefully you can have another successful week. This is Unexpected Points, the number one NFL podcast. Let's get to it. Actually, uh, messed up a little bit there on my intro. It's supposed to be the number one NFL analytics podcast, which, again, very unscientific measure there. Uh, my man, Ed Fang, has been doing a football analytics pod for a while now. Longer than this. Maybe he's the number one NFL analytics pod. But, you know, his football analytics, I'm going to stick straight NFL, no college football. Uh, in mind. So anyway, everyone, what a week, right? Uh, we're kind of in the middle. We're still in the shit right now when it comes to Odell Beckham and his situation in Cleveland. I'm going to try to review that. I'm going to talk about some of the Aaron Rodgers stuff, but I don't want to get too much into the details because we had our jokes with Aaron Rodgers. I think that was the main thing that we were getting off on the internet. Probably a little too jokey, probably not enough uh, gravity to the situation that he is sick and you never know what can happen in these situations. But Aaron kind of set himself up for that a little bit. Uh, So before we get into, like I said, we're going to talk the week nine previews. I'm not going to go through every game, but I'm going to go through a lot of different games because I have decent numbers. My numbers come out with decent either runs I'm going to make official plays. I think it's four games I'm going to make an official play this week. And I also have leans on a few others that I want to mention because in the review that I did last week, I said, oh, yeah, you know, I had a lean on this one. I had a lean on this one. I had a lean on this one. And I didn't actually talk about it beforehand. So, you know, I don't want to be one of these guys who's, you know, hindsight telling you, oh, yeah, all those games that hit. Yeah, I had lean on all of those <laughs> afterwards. Let, let's talk about it up front uh, if, we're, if, we're, if I'm going to talk about it on the back end when I do the reviews for all the different games. So let's start with Beckham. And... I don't think I need to go over the particulars of what's gone on here, but we had the trade deadline coming. We had the video that his father put out. We had the LeBron James tweet saying free OBJ and some other chatter for some other people about helping get Odell potentially out of that situation. Very last minute. This is, you know, happening the night before the trade deadline. And I think the point here about those things is clearly it came through to the Browns as being a coordinated effort on his part and something that may have blindsided them a bit. I mean, you saw Baker in the press conference in the Q&A that he was doing with reporters the days um the days after that He says he wasn't hurt, although, to be honest, I bet he was a little bit hurt here. It seemed like he considered Odell a a friend. He said he wasn't hurt, but he was surprised. And I think surprise is probably one of the things that factors into it more than anything else. So I think the overarching thing, though, we have to think about this situation with Beckham. The way we view how the Browns look at him, the way we view how they think about potentially trading or releasing him, how we view him as a player at this point is that his value is not anywhere close to the perception that we have of him as a player. That the consensus 
perception that we have, the celebrity of him, the consensus that he may even have amongst defensive players that he's gone against and 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 or players that he's played with and how successful that he has been. I mean, he was iconic at one point in time. It's not that long ago, if we're talking about his first few seasons in New York, where he was a top five type of player as far as representing and being part of the NFL that you thought of. Clearly the number one non-quarterback. I know you could say, oh, Aaron Donald is so great. I mean, Aaron Donald was never getting the hype, the press, the fan adulation, the jersey sales, all those sorts of things that Odell Beckham Jr. was getting back after his first couple of years in particular in the, in the season, I mean, his career. So that, that, that's important to remember, but there's a huge disconnect between that and how he is viewed now. So if you want to get into the particulars of what has he been open or not, is it Baker's fault, is it his fault, all that sort of stuff, I, I think that's extremely difficult to determine. I think it's extremely difficult to figure out exactly what's going on. And there are two sides to this story. I think it's important just to realize that there are two sides and recognize that it could be one of two things. I mean, we saw the video, right? At least, I actually, I didn't watch the video. I'll cop to that. I did not watch the video. But we get what's going on. I've seen threads of Baker missing Odell before. So, we, so we've seen that, and we've seen the people talking poorly about Baker because of that. Uh, as recently as Steve Smith on Thursday Night Football saying that he's average and he's the reason Beckham wants to leave. So that's fine. There's that side. Then you have the other side and you have reports like if anyone saw the report from Aditi uh, Kinkawala when she came out on she's an NFL Network reporter where she had been talking in the building and you could say it's more of a company line report. And this has also been backed up by Charles Robinson at Yahoo Sports. So not an NFL reporter, but an outside reporter. But again, someone who's close to the decision makers in Cleveland and has had uh, news out of Cleveland for years now. What they're saying is the other side of the story. And that side is, you know, where is Beckham as far as trying to repair those relationships with his teammates? And more importantly, when it comes to the football side, they say they run a timing and precision offense. And if a player isn't where he's supposed to be at the time that he's supposed to be, it doesn't matter that he gets open in more of a freelancing type of manner. That can look good when you're looking at it on a video, but it's not necessarily good as part of the offense. And it can explain why Baker's numbers objectively are so much worse, not only when he's throwing to Odell Beckham, very low catch rate, low yards per target. He's under seven yards per target this season. Um, he was never under, I believe, eight yards per target when he was part of the Giants, despite incredibly high usage. He's been under that multiple years in Cleveland. I mean, he had 133 targets his first season in Cleveland. It wasn't like he hadn't been used. Then it stepped down the next year before the injury, and then and now it stepped down again. So it can explain some of that. And again, uh, this is your your boy here, not doing reporting, but having talked to some people in the past, and I think I mentioned this in the, on this podcast, is some people that are in the organization, the Browns, not no one who's been on this podcast, so don't try to guess who, who it was. So people who have been in the organization, the Browns, explicitly said that for Beckham, they were already feeling, and this is a while ago, a couple of years ago, they were already feeling that the problems there 
after the after just his first season, that 2019 season, was that you know he really just needs to be heavily, heavily targeted. You need someone to lock on to him, wait for him to get open, and then get him the ball or get him on quick slants and just throw it um, as the primary and only read on that. And that just wasn't how Baker Mayfield operates. That wasn't how the offense operates. And there, therefore, there were problems there. And that's when you would see player uh, issues with concentration drops, um, maybe not being on the same page, things like that, clear frustration that was going on on his part. So that's kind of like the football side of the story. You have the, you have the two different sides there. The most important thing, again, I'm talking about the macro thing, is how is he really viewed? So the proof is in the production. And for the NFL, this is very much a what have you done for me lately type of league, especially for players who are over even 25 years old. You know, Beckham's 28, going to 29 years old now. So if you look at the Browns, he had 29 games played, 114 catches, a little bit under 1,600 yards, which comes out to 54 yards per game, seven receiving TDs, and only two games of those 29 that he played, he had over 100 yards receiving. So it's not just that he had a low average. He did not take over any games. He wasn't a difference maker very often at all in these games. He was a piece of the offense, an inefficient piece of the offense. Baker's been worse throwing it to him on a yards per target basis than anywhere else. And when he hasn't played, just not being on the field, Baker's been much better without him on the field. Now, does that say that Beckham is a poor receiver? No, it doesn't. But it doesn't help, right? In a prove-it league, in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league, those things do not help. And then you have the additional piece, which is very important. On top of the mediocre production that he's had in the 29 games that he's played with the Browns, he's missed an additional 13 games in those three seasons. So we're talking about a total of 42 games is how you should look at a lot of these things. You know, 1,500 yards, 1,600 yards in 42 games played is just not going to cut it. It's not an elite level. It's not something that teams are going to be very interested in playing. And, you know, he missed games with the Giants, too, so it's not the only one. And his situation when he left the Giants, there's some similarities here. As far as blaming Eli Manning on the way out. I think we were all much more receptive to that for the fact that Eli looked like he was on the end of his career, but he had the infamous, you know, Little Wayne interview with Little Wayne, which is just kind of like a strange sentence to put together there, where he was being interviewed by uh Justina Anderson where he said, you know, where she asked him, "Do you have a quarterback?" and he says, "I don't know." You know, I feel like, you know, Eli's not going to get out of the pocket. He's like, "I don't mind getting these shallow passes, but I want you know, things are going to go longer. So he's kind of throwing Eli under the bus there. He said something in the past when he was with the Giants about the team not playing with enough heart. And Pat Shermer, who was the head coach at the time, was none too pleased about that. So this, this is, it's not a pattern when we get to two situations where this happened. Is it possible that he's just had two poor quarterbacks that he's played with and it makes sense as a receiver, a player on the field who is the most dependent for his production, his status, everything else that he has is based on the play of someone else and whether or not he's receiving the ball. Yeah, I, I could see why there's frustration there. And that's why, you know, I'm not really, I don't know if I can fully empathize with Odell, but I can see why there's a problem there. But it seems like there was a problem also with communication. So the big part when all this is factored in is, and again, this is your boy doing some uh, minor reporting here, talking to some other people that I might know at other teams is, I think his view, the view the teams have of him is just very, very low. The Browns could not trade him on this contract where he's owed, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of $9 million for the rest of this year. 
he has additional 15 million non-guaranteed. I don't, I don't think there, I think there's only one or 2 million of injury guarantee, your standard one, 2 million of injury guarantees that would be termination pay or injury uh, settlement pay going forward. So he doesn't have injury guarantees going forward, but no one really wants that deal. No one wants to give up anything for it. No one's even going to take the contract. There's an assumption from the Browns that if they cut him on this current deal, he'll automatically go to waivers. And I think the correct assumption is no one's going to pick him up off of waivers on this current deal. So now there seems to be a negotiation going on. And I think what the Browns are doing here, um, and that's why they didn't just trade him last minute or something like that, because they needed some time to figure out the situation. And also Charles Robinson reported that while the Saints may have been interested, they were not that interested. And they backed off. They never made uh, an offer for, for Beckham. So now they're trying to hit some sort of sweet spot where either they can reduce the salary enough so that someone will pick them up off of waivers, it'll be attractive enough for the end of the season, because there's only going to be a handful of teams that have the combination of cap space and comp- and are competing and have a need for someone like him, um, trying to find that sweet spot to maybe save some money, or they're trying to negotiate some sort of like termination pay difference, which is if they release him, there's money on top of his guaranteed salary that they would owe him uh, for the fact that the season's already started. They would owe him an d- d- additional something like $2 million in termination pay. So they may be working with him there to say, hey, will you waive this termination pay if you go out there? And then someone else presumably signs him to the league minimum if, uh, no, if when no one picks him up on, on waivers. So we'll see. I mean, I think the sweet spot for someone actually grabbing on waivers is very, very low. It's close to the league minimum. It's probably maybe a couple million dollars, if that. I mean, I do think it'll be um, illustrative to the situation if they put him out there on waivers with, you know, three million remaining on his contract, two and a half million remaining on his contract, and no one picks him up, which I think is very possible because, like, are you going to rush to grab someone who may be discontented, you know, who may not want to be there, who may be upset with no long-term future there, right? Rather than going to where he wants to go. So I think that that number is going to be very, very low. And it's most likely that he'll come around and, you know, he might not even get signed immediately, even at the league minimum going forward. There are lots of potential issues here. And again, you have to, the team has to align perfectly with all of those needs that they have, knowing that there's going to be the hype, there's going to be a potential train wreck if things don't go well in the future. And if things don't go well, it's not likely from what we've seen and how his time ended in New York and then how his time ended in Cleveland that he will go away quietly. And those are the considerations that teams are going to have to make. We'll see all the details. Uh, I think from the Browns' perspective, it doesn't affect them at all going forward as far as our projection for them. Uh, More snaps for Donovan Peoples-Jones, more snaps for the rookie Anthony Schwartz to fill roles going down the field. I don't think you'd be seeing anything but a good thing. Uh, But they are a little thin at wide receiver. I mean, Landry never really misses time. He rarely misses time. He has missed some time now, but he rarely misses time. He plays banged up. But again, he's been banged up. He could potentially miss more time. And then you start to look around the rest of that wide receiver core, and you just see Rashard Higgins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Anthony Schwartz, maybe Demetric Felton, if you wanted to move him into that type of role. You don't see a whole lot there, but they do have the three tight ends that they use pretty frequently. Harrison Bryant, of course, being the third of that mix, along with Njoku and Austin Hooper. So they could turn to that quite a bit. And Baker's been very successful throwing to those guys. He hasn't been as successful throwing to wide receivers. Part of the problem with Odell Beckham. 
Uh, before we get on to the Aaron Rodgers situation, my quick takes on that. I just want to let everyone know that you can support this podcast with promo code UNEXPECTED to get all of PFF's lock content, all of our fantasy content, all of our betting content if you want to go there. Promo code UNEXPECTED, 25% off any sub at PFF. Use it. Show everyone there, Chris, show Chris Collinsworth and the bosses there that you love this podcast. And I'm getting some great feedback on the podcast, so I appreciate everyone doing that and talking about that. Okay, Aaron Rodgers. What matters in this situation, I think, is really important because I was participating in the jokes like everyone else. There's some good jokes for this Aaron Rodgers situation. Uh, I've seen some complaints and even some mea culpas about reporters believing a little too much what they heard from Aaron Rodgers. I am normally someone who can be critical of reporters for being stenographers or buying the company line a little too much. I actually cut them a little bit of slack on this. Because if you parse the exact statement from Aaron Rodgers, and I compared it to, I compare it to the Bill Clinton uh, saga with M- Monica Lewinsky, where he was asked in a deposition, "Is he in a re- is he in a relationship with Monica Lewinsky?" And he said, "No." Now later on, to see whether or not he was lying, right? That was the problem: was whether he was going to perjury. He that he perjured himself as part of this um, investigation into uh, a different case. It was the Paula Jones case that they were actually investigating as part of this. He said, well, it depends on what the meaning of is is. If the meaning of is means you're currently at this moment in a relationship, no. Because he had, I believe he's saying he had ended it at that point. So it was over. If the meaning of is means is and ever has been in a relationship, then it would have been yes. So he had a different meaning of is. very, it, Rogers is kind of similar on how we how we took this, right? Uh, I mean, Clinton had another great one with this, where he said uh, at that press conference, the famous press conference, where he says, "I am not having, I am not having sexual relations with that woman." Now, if he would have just stopped right there, he could have not credibly, but he could have said later on, "Oh, I wasn't talking about Lewinsky. I was just saying that woman. I was talking about someone else." But then he did follow it up with Miss Lewinsky, so he he blew his lawyer talk, but he almost had the lawyer talk there too. He almost had it right. If he would have stopped there, he could have done some like, oh, when I said that woman, I didn't mean that woman. I meant some other woman. Um, Anyway, I don't want to talk too much on the side on uh, Slick Willie. Uh, But let's talk about Aaron Rodgers here. So this is, I mean, why I don't blame the reporters is not only did he say, yeah, I've been immunized when they asked him about the vaccination, which I agree. If you if you're going to really like parse his words, you could say, why did he use that word and not vaccination? But then when he went beyond that and he said, I don't blame those guys who are not vaccinated and those guys that clearly indicated like I am not part of that group. Right. I can't really blame the reporters for assuming that there were articles that came out not only from sports reporters, but in all different kinds of places saying Aaron Rodgers is vaccinated, doesn't blame unvaccinated teammates. You know, those articles were were stating something that he didn't say that he just intimated. And maybe that's a problem, but no one's correcting the record here, right? The the team, the coaches, everyone else was facilitating this deception that Aaron Rodgers seems like that he came up on his own. I, I doubt the team was like, you know what we're going to do? Let's figure out a way that no one knows that you're not vaccinated. 
Um, but to be fair to Rodgers, at that point in time, I'm not 100% sure if the final ruling had come down from the NFLPA and the NFL that he was trying to negotiate getting status, getting vaccinated status for the um, essential oils and, and eating clay and healing crystals and whatever else that he was using to get uh, vaccinated status. So maybe at that point, it officially, that, that ruling hadn't officially come down. I'm not sure. I'd have to check the, the timing on everything. So maybe at that point, he did think, hey, he actually was, you know, he was, he was drinking the Kool-Aid, drinking the clay aid. And he was saying, hey, I'm going to get vaccinated. I'm going to get like off on this. So I'm like, I am immunized in the same sort of way that you would have to be. Um, but anyway, so the, let's talk about the practical ramifications for that. And maybe I'll wrap this even into a preview for this particular game. Um, earlier this week, I was torn because I was weighing my different biases against each other. I was saying to myself, you know what? I'm biased against Aaron Rodgers. I'm biased towards Patrick Mahomes. I know that. So when I'm looking at this game, which opened at, I believe, two Open in Kansas City, minus two. Move down to basically a pick. Where do I go here? Because I'm strongly leaning towards Kansas City at that point. Now it's up to Kansas City, uh, minus seven and a half. And the problem here is, if I'm biased against Aaron Rodgers, which I know I am, which means that I assume that any move when Aaron Rodgers is leaving has been taken away, I think is too big of a move. Now I'm stuck. Because that would mean bet on the Packers. Um, I tried to make an adjustment in here. Now, maybe I'm off on this. My adjustment was five and a half points. Roughly is how you could think about it. The Vegas has obviously got a bigger number on Rodgers. I know that, and I think the reason for that is that Jordan Love looked bad. Like he looked bad in the preseason he probably looked bad in practice last year for the fact that he was never even active. Um, up and down, I should say, at best in, in the preseason. So I, But he's a first-round quarterback. Now, maybe he's just an awful first-round quarterback, but he is a first-round quarterback. So I'm not sure that that's, you know, if we should view it as your normal Brett Hundley is coming in type of situation where, you're, where you were moving the line seven, seven and a half points, something like that. Um, so my combo, finish it all, wrapping everything into it, the adjusted game scores that I have, the adjustments for schedule, uh, and a little bit of prior. I'm always trying to decide how much prior to wrap in at this point. A friend of the podcast and guest from last year, Rob Pozzola, I think at this point in the season, after like week five or six, he doesn't have any prior. Everything's based upon this season. Other friend of the podcast, Rufus Peabody, who I love, um, he I love his method too. He does have prior that's in there. And we do have prior in our power ranking still. Um, so it's kind of, how do you judge those two things together, especially for a team like Kansas City, where if you look purely on, these are my numbers. If, if you take no prior this season, uh, my number for them is basically like, a slightly better than league average team. Not so hot, right? <laughs> like not, not so good. Um, that's how they've been playing so far this season. Now, when you build a prior in, it's going to boost it up a bit there. And 
The thing is, I don't think Green Bay has been that great either. So I don't have them necessarily being a worse team than Green Bay. I think a lot of people would. I have them being slightly better than Green Bay because Green Bay, again, is another team where when I look through these these numbers, their expected score differential, I mean, their adjusted score differential for all their games this year is minus 6.7. Now, a lot of that was getting wiped out by the Saints in week one, but they've been, for me, like less than a league average team so far this year. So the seven and a half points, anyway, long story short, my, if I was going to adjust it and set a line, I'd set it more at eight. So not enough really to go either way in any direction on that. So I think that's like the practical ramifications for Rodgers. And then we'll see next week when he's playing against the Seahawks, he could technically be back if he's still sick and can't test negative. He won't be back. There will be practice issues, of course, going on there. Uh, A lot of different things going on. But the good thing for the Packers and another reason why I think it makes sense to undervalue the Rodgers loss versus what the the market may say is the fact that David Bakhtiari seems like he's back. Devontae Adams seems like he's back. Um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling will probably be back. So you factor in all those different things there. And I think it really makes it a tough situation to parse and everything falls into basically do nothing on this sort of play. Um, Okay, let's hit another very uh, relevant sponsor here before we get into previewing the rest of week nine and that sponsor is DraftKings. NFL fans hungry for a big win this week DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL has you covered new customers can bet just five dollars on any NFL team to win their game and if they do you win two hundred dollars in free bets winner winner chicken dinner it's that simple if sports if the sportsbook isn't available in your state DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed Play for huge cash prizes all season long with daily fantasy sports. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL, any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If, if they win, you win with promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, and $1. Dollar wagered one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler. Okay, let's hit some of these. Some of these games. So I'm going to start with the ones that I see as having the biggest edge, and move down from that. And I'll tell you, as opposed to last week, I really liked the bets last week. Uh, the only, the one that we lost, I still like that Miami, uh, plus the 14, even though they lost by 15, because it was much closer than that, according to my, um, adjusted game scores. I really like those a lot. This one's, I like it a little bit. I like, I'm like medium, like I'm not as much as I was like last week, but I do, I do have some good numbers here. And sometimes if you can't find some reason to fade the numbers, you, you, you kind of just got to go with it. I will tell you some that I am finding some reasons to fade the numbers uh, a little bit, or at least hedge enough to not pull the trigger on it. So the first one, and this is a variance play, so it's a little bit difficult, and that is our Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> How do I say our? Because I already canceled uh, Urban Meyer. But our Jacksonville Jaguars, plus 14 and a half at home against the Buffalo Bills. So combining everything to go into these numbers, 
the back and forth, the uh, my adjusted game score differentials that they've had so far this year, all the different numbers that I have. I have this line being more like 10 points. So I think the 14 and a half is kind of key here to get that half point. Um, that's what you're really going to be going to be hoping for on, on something like this. Um, the, the, the Buffalo Bills this, this year, I mean, they've been really, really good. They've been the best team in the NFL. They have the best differential point differential. So if you have no prior, right, going into the season, they have the best differential so far this year. Uh, they've been 10 points better on average than their opponent so far this year. But I hedge that a bit because they have the 30th strongest strength of schedule. So they have not had a very difficult strength of schedule. Now, the Jacksonville Jaguars have not had a very difficult strength of schedule either. 23rd. But when you look at their expected score differential, I have it at 7.5 points versus the uh, the actual score differential this season, which has been... 11.5. So again, the actual score differential for the Buffalo Bills has been over 17 points. I have it more like 10. The actual score differential for the Jacksonville Jaguars has been over 11 points. They've been losing by on average. I have it more like seven and a half. So you combine those together uh, with some adjustments that lean slightly towards Jacksonville because of the fact they've had a slightly more difficult schedule. And it comes in, you know, around where the line that we see here, but there are some like underlying things that help bring Jacksonville back. Uh, primarily the fact that their drop back numbers, their passing numbers have been so much worse than their success rate numbers. And this could be a sustainable thing. I mean, Trevor Lawrence and that offense could just continue to be the worst team in sustainable in that sustainable way, but I'm not quite sure that's going to happen. I mean, let's just look at like fumbles, which are the least predictable, huge swing play probably that there is out there maybe kicking would be would be another one um so in offensive fumbles so far this year the jaguars have lost about 20 epa they got zero defensive they got zero gain from fumbles now i'm sure the other teams have fumbled i wish i had the numbers here for fumbles versus recoveries right i'm sure that they force fumbles but they're not getting they've gotten they got none of them whereas on the other side of the ball other side of the ball. On the, on, for the other team here, the Buffalo Bills, they've lost a little bit over eight EPA in fumbles, and they've gained 25. So they've had huge, massive, you know, 20, 16, 17-point gains in fumbles versus the Jaguars losing 20 in fumbles. And, of course, interceptions, which is more on the team and more stable. So I'm not discounting those. But, again, when it comes to interceptions, uh, the Jaguars have lost – 40 EPA and interceptions, and they've only gotten 10 EPA and interceptions. They're not intercepting the ball at all. I mean, maybe the defense really is that bad, and we my numbers say that they really, really are horrible, like almost bottom of the league. But still, even a really, really horrible defense should be getting more than like one EPA per one point per game in fumble value. I mean, in in interception value. So on the other side, like look at the the Bills, they have 57 points gained through INTs versus 10 for for Jacksonville. And if you go a bit further down with some numbers here, I mean the the thing is just going to be the same reason I was with Miami against Buffalo last week. It's just, you know, Josh Allen's been okay, but not great. He's at uh, 0.17 EPA per play, which puts him in the top 10, but you know, nowhere close to the top numbers that we've seen so far this year. And 
they're just going to have to pick it up a bit more in order for you to really say, okay, they should be 14 and a half point favorites on the road. Um, I liked Miami a little bit more than I like this one, but this is one that I'm going to go with as a, as a play. Um, okay. Another one that I'm not going to go with as an official play here, but it's like a contingent play. So we'll see what happens as far as Kyler Murray's health and availability right now is the Cardinals at the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, this has moved to, one of it's moved, but it's moved a little bit to minus two for the 49ers here. My line would be more like Arizona should be a three-point favorite. So my problem is like, are we just blindly betting this based upon the assumption that Kyler's going to be okay, that there's not a big problem there? I mean, he's got the finger issue. He's got a ankle issue. So when you combine those two things together, how much is it going to affect their game? I mean, I'd be more concerned. Um, he didn't practice on, I mean, he did not practice. And then DeAndre Hopkins both did not practice on Thursday. I would be uh, more concerned if this was the same offense that the Cardinals had last year, where they were so reliant on running the ball with Kyler. I'd be more concerned about the injury. I was. That's why I thought their offense was going to go in the tank at the end of last season, and it did after Kyler injured his shoulder in Seattle. So this is like a, a wait-and-see type of game. I think this is a game where I'm not going to make an official play because we don't, I don't have enough clearance on what, what's going to go on there with those guys at this point. And if it moves between you know the twos or if it moves around, around a pick, I would still be fine go ahead and plucking up the the Cardinals, if it moves a little bit in the other direction, I'd rather have that clarity than make a speculative play on this. Um, so that's one to look at. It's like an additional one that we can talk about in the review show that I don't quite know at this point on a Friday morning whether or not you would go for it. But that would be, that would be like a big advantage uh, for me. Th- th- that would be a big play for me if we could do it, but we can't quite do it now. Um, I, I just, I just want to get that out there because it's one of the biggest ones here. So the next one, and this is, again, we're, we're kind of getting some, some repeat action here. Um, is Sam Darnold going to play? If Sam Darnold's going to play and they're still a three and a half point underdog at home versus the Patriots, Patriots being a team that, you know, I don't have them as being that strong, honestly. Like if we, okay, so we're going to bring up, like, I think people are very high on the Patriots after they beat a team, a Chargers team that people were too high on. So it's kind of like a, a team could be now somewhat overvalued after beating another team that's overvalued. I mean, my expected score differential, I'm sorry, expected score, my adjusted score differential, so my adjusted game scores so far this season for the Patriots, who have had the 29th stri- uh, strength of schedule, so a pretty easy schedule. My number there is is negative 2.4. So they've been like a kind of below average team so far this year. And the Cardinals are 1.8 over. Now they've gone in different directions, right? The Cardinals were stomping on people early. And then now uh, New England's been playing a little bit better more recently. Um, There's just a big difference between my numbers for New England on the actual score differentials versus my, my adjustments here. And uh, Carolina, you know, they got some problems coming up here. I don't know if Christian McCaffrey is going to play or not. That's a big one. Um, So if Christian McCaffrey was in and Darnold was in, because I know people maybe think it's not a big downgrade to P.J. Walker. I'm not sure if it is or not. XFL fame, P.J. Walker. 
um, or was it AAF? I, I, I can always get those confused. The, the thing with PJ Walker is he has looked really bad when he's come in. Um, God, the play last week where he came in and they were on the goal line right after Darnold went down and he came in and for some reason, there's a first down, I believe they decided to throw the ball and he rolled out, clutch, clutch, clutched, almost took a sack, you know, who knows what he was going to doing. It looked horrible, threw it in there, could have been intercepted on just one play. It was like, dude, just throw the ball into the stands and run the ball in afterwards. Um, so I'm a little skeptical of PJ Walker, despite the fact that I'm sure uh, Matt Rule is just going to be trying to run the ball a thousand times in this game, if humanly possible. So this is another contingent one that I'll, that I'll throw out there. Okay, um, the next play, and this is this is a legit play, so I'm marking this in as a legit one, is Denver plus ten at the Dallas Cowboys. Now this one hurts. It hurts me to to do this because. I like the Cowboys. I had some positive things to say about them after their game last week where their defense, which had been highly, highly, highly reliant upon turnovers, finally came through uh, with a strong defensive performance that was not reliant at all on turnovers. Um, so it's, you know, it, 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 it's, it's troubling to have to, to push this together. But 10 points is just a lot of points. That's, the, that's what it comes down to, pure and simple. Too many points uh, against. Denver, and I know that Denver struggled offensively. They traded Vaughn Miller, which may be an indication to some people that they are tanking. And I think that's why we're seeing this number at 10 versus seeing this number at, I don't know, nine or eight and a half. Not just the Vaughn Miller effect, but the implication of what it means for what this team is trying to do. And whether or not we should give them like a tanking variable. That is something that if you listen to Eric Eager and George Chahuri and their forecast podcast, Eric Eager, when he's doing power rankings and modeling before, what he's mentioned, and I, I've never, I haven't done this, but I think it's an interesting idea. He's mentioned the possibility of a adding like a tanking variable to teams where they're not literally tanking, but maybe they're not trying all out to win. So is that the case with Denver right now? I don't think it's the case really because of the fact that while they traded Miller, that was a deal that you almost couldn't pass up to get those picks for a 32 year old player. And some people talked about, oh, are they going to trade Teddy Bridgewater? They're not trading Teddy Bridgewater. They're four and 14. They have a 30% chance to make the playoffs according to the implied odds. This is a team that still can compete. And again, no one's going to like this, but we're getting through a lot of key numbers all the way up to 10. If it was 10 and a half, of course, that would be better. Uh, but, you know, whenever you need a multiple score win against a team where you, if you look at the uh, Denver so far this year, as much as you want to say, well, you know, you adjust for strength of schedule, you do all those sorts of things. And that's what I'm doing. They've had an easy strength of schedule, 26th strength of schedule so far this year. They're still a slightly above average team so far this year. So even if you want to discount them for Vaughn Miller, that makes them a slightly below average team. So a slightly below average team, should they be a 10-point underdog? I don't think so. And that's why I'm locking in the Denver Broncos as a pick. And before we get to my last couple picks here and the rest of the games that I'm going to review, 
I want to tell you about our last sponsor, and that is Western and Southern. Whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help you get ahead with both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear about Chris's old playing days or behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both, and every football or financial question you ask earns you a chance to win a catered party for February's big game. Check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western and Southern Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernandsouthern.com slash askchris, C-R-I-S. One more time, that is westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Okay, so the next game here, sorry, I'm updating some lines here, is this might be my favorite of the week. And it is the Miami Dolphins. Even though you spited me last week, Miami Dolphins. um, The Miami Dolphins minus five and a half. That's come down from six and a half now with Terod Taylor being... um, the assumed quarterback, five and a half points at home against the Houston Texans. Now, if a team is tanking or if their players are going to be disengaged, if any team in the NFL is, I actually think it's the Houston Texans. I mean, we're talking about all these guys are going to be, there's going to be a lot of clearing house. They brought in all these low price free agents that will all be turned over. Uh, they're going to trade Deshaun Watson. They're going to bring in a bunch of picks. They may even have a new coach just as early as next year. Uh, this team is falling apart. And I know that Terod Taylor is going to be a lot better than Davis Mills, but I think, if anything, like how the thought of someone like Jordan Love may be that they're worse than they actually are because of the small evidence that we have of them being bad. With Taylor, if this was at the beginning of the season, right, and you looked at these teams and you said the Dolphins, who obviously have underperformed, Right, the Dolphins versus the Texans, five and a half points. People have been like, that's way, way, way too low, even with Taylor in there, right? So putting Taylor in there, I agree that he ups them. He ups them. But when he was in there for the short time earlier this season, he was playing extremely well from a numbers perspective. That's not, you're not going to get that. I think people are maybe thinking a little too much about, hey, maybe Taylor is, you know, as good as Tua. I mean, Maybe you can't make that argument. I should. I shouldn't go. I don't want to go too far, but I'm still going to lean towards that not being the case. And I think the key here for Tua is horrible offensive line. When they're under pressure, they had obviously great difficulty scoring last week uh, against the the Buffalo Bills. But they did miss a field goal. They did blow it when they had it um, red zone adjacent as far with the fumble with Jasicki. They did have a lucky touchdown that they did end up scoring. So, you know, discount that a little bit. But the problem with that Bills defense is a lot of pressure can be brought upon Tua. And we saw Tua play well against the Falcons when the pressure wasn't coming as much. So this Houston defense is not going to get any pressure. You know, this is a bad, 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 bad defense. And it's really going to be about can Miami confuse and shut down what Houston's going to do on offense. And I think they can better than some others. I think they can lock down with some man coverage, someone like uh, Brandon Cooks. I think they can make things difficult for that Houston offense. 
they played a lot better. They played a strong game against the Bills last week. So five and a half, yeah, if they win by three, you're not going to get it. But the other one, the other numbers most more, more more likely than that um, after that, not more likely, but if you're talking about the most likely numbers after that, six and seven, you're getting six and seven with the five and a half here. Too juicy not to pass up. I have this more like an eight point game. Oh, I didn't mention the um, my my adjusted line for Dallas Denver. I have it at seven and a half as opposed to between seven and eight as opposed to 10. So um, that's where I have that number. So I have this as eight here for Miami. They're only five and a half. So that is going to be the uh, another play that I'm making official here and locking in. Okay, so the last, okay, another one that I'm not taking as an official play, but the numbers indicate that it is on a borderline is Chicago at the Pittsburgh Steelers plus six and a half. I have this more like four-ish, three and a half, four. Um, I'm much, much lower on the Pittsburgh offense. I see the Chicago defense playing well, although there's some issues here with, you know, potentially generating pressure against a quick release of Roethlisberger. My biggest concern here is that Justin Fields has played well in a couple of games where he's been at home and he's faced teams like the Detroit Lions. And then last week against the Niners, where you think the Niners would be getting a lot of pressure. They got some pressure, but they weren't, they don't blitz that much. So against teams that can't generate pressure or don't blitz, he's been performing better against teams that generate pressure and blitz. That's when some issues, he's had some issues diagnosing those. And that's when you get the big downside events, like we saw against Tampa Bay, like we saw against the Cleveland Browns. Well, and also on the road, right? It's home versus being on the road, which I think is an important distinction for uh, Fields' ability, again, to diagnose things in a hostile environment. Pittsburgh is going to, it brings pressure and they blitz and they do some confusing things on the back end. So if they can get pressure and Fields doesn't know where it's coming from, where he's been a little bit poor diagnosing it, that's why I'm a little bit concerned about that number. And I also think there's some possibility that Pittsburgh is getting a, a little bit of something going on offense. Not, not a great something, but a little something going on offense. Um, that, I, that I'm going to lean against this, despite the fact that the number is, is right there, potentially on this game. Okay, and the last one I'm going to talk about, the last play that I have, is the Philadelphia Eagles plus one and a half at home against the Chargers. Again, I do not have the Chargers ranked that highly, and I'm higher on the Eagles than, than the market. So when you combine those two things together, you don't like to just stick with the same thing over and over again. I'm going to make that a play. Unfortunately, it was two before, so I would have really to have liked to have gotten that two if by some miracle the Chargers do win by two, which is a possibility. I'm going to be kicking myself because I would have recommended that at two instead of one and a half. So the market's been moving a little bit in, uh, in my direction there. So we're not going to get that closing line value, but that's the way it goes. So, so far this year, if you look at um, expected score, I mean, adjusted score differentials, both teams are about the same so far this year. Strength of schedule, they both have had hard schedules. So they're about equal teams. So we got equal teams. We got Philly at home versus the Chargers. That's really the reason to look at it. And this is kind of like a matchup. This is a matchup thing. 
The Phil, uh, the Eagles have the number one offense in the NFL, rush offense in success rate, the number four offense in efficiency. They've been leaning into that a lot more recently. And if you think about the on the defensive side, so the defensive success rate for the Chargers, they are dead last, 32nd, and they are dead last in defensive run efficiency. So boom, boom. Uh, uh, that's the matchup there. If you're confident that the Eagles are going to be able to, to run the ball efficiently, stay ahead, and then bring some pressure, interior pressure on Justin Herbert, I think good things can happen. And this this offense for the Chargers has been all over the place, whether or not they've been able to convert on these late downs. I mean, still in aggregate for the, for the season, the conversions, the net conversions are good for the Chargers, but they've gone way, way down over time. So, you know, I'm not in love with this one, but I'm going to still going to make this an official play because I feel like it's on that, it's on that cusp line and playing in Philly, a little bit of a long travel for the Chargers also factors into this slightly. The, the travel distance goes into my uh, modeling slightly. So I would make this, I would make the Eagles um, a slight favorite, a favorite by two points. And this is one and a half. Again, it's between the one and a half and two. So it's not like a huge difference here. It's not the biggest play, but I want to provide four plays this week um, because I had those two plays, the Carolina plus three and a half, and uh, Arizona plus two, which are contingent ones. So hopefully those will the, the injuries will line up on those, and you can get those too. But then you at least have these these four that I'm doing. And again, this is for informa- uh, you know entertainment purposes only. They've been going okay so far this year, but uh, of course we're doing this for fun, and this is not a way to uh, you know make a living or anything like that, at least for me. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, use that promo code UNEXPECTED to get all the great information at PFF. I think I'm going to start putting some articles up there with some of my adjusted scores, too. Some people have been asking about that. I think that's a good way, especially for wrap-ups. Maybe uh, get that out on on a Tuesday or a Wednesday that everyone can see that information and get an idea of the contrast between what happened from these underlying strong metrics versus the actual results that were on the field. If you have any questions for me, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Kevin Cole PFF, or you can even shoot me an email, kevin.cole at pff.com. Thank you so much, and I'll be talking at you again next week.